Welcome to episode 40 of the Cincy Postcast. I am your host, Kevin, and we have an awesome episode for you. This is a jam-packed episode with, I mean, in the 11 out of the 18 to start us off, a debate on what would happen if our best athletes played soccer. Huh? Do we embrace debate here? The U.S. men's national team finally exits Qatar. Was it a good performance? Are we optimistic for the future or have we really made progress since 2014? And finally, yes, we actually do talk about your FC Cincinnati team, or at least a couple of topics related to FC Cincinnati. And that'll be your Cincy Postcast. Uh, Joining me to talk about all of this, we've got not the usual crew. Whoa. Switching things up, at least for this week. Grayson is off gallivanting around the globe, as he is wont to do. So we are joined this week by, of course, the chief, the always here chief. And we've got Das Harks back in the studio. I'm going to pretend like we don't do this over Zoom. Das Harks, how you feeling, man? Welcome back. Sup? <laughs> Always bringing the energy right. on these things. We're, we're, pay, right. we're paying them by the words, folks. <laughs> now it's good to be back. Uh, enjoy, enjoy being in the saddle with you guys as usual. Life's been wild, but uh, everything just makes more sense when you're hanging out with the chief. And <laughs> I, I don't know that, that I don't know. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> There's chief. sensibility in the chaos. Chief, you were a gambler. If you had to put money down on which happens first, are you betting Das Hark's original song or the post releasing an article happening first? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, to yeah. me, the value play here is parlaying both those two things but happening before the first of the year. I mean, that would have to be a, a massive cash in on that. <laughs> The, the odds you get on that are something akin no. to Lester winning in 2015-16. See, see, here's the, the the play is betting on the post writing an article because I can control that. I can publish an article for the post. I'm just not doing it. It like reminds me of when um when the Buccaneers were playing in the Super Bowl a few years back. There was a prop bet you could get on rushing yards total for Tom Brady, and the over under was I think a yard and a half. Oh, so as geez. long as Tom Brady rushes. For more than a yard and a half, the bet cashes. And allegedly, Brady himself went into a meeting the week before the Super Bowl with all the other quarterbacks in the room and the offensive coordinator and said, hey, you know what? My rushing total is a yard and a half. If we all put a million dollars on this and just call a quarterback draw on the first play, hey, no one's going to see it coming. I'm a guaranteed lock to get two yards on this. We can all cash in big. And then everyone was kind of like, Yo, man, you can't even say that out loud. Like, <laughs> Is this a good time to bring up a shitty take that I've had and just double down on it because I still have this belief? Okay. Yes. We're watching the World Cup, right? We're, we're right, watching right. The, the ostensibly the most important sport in every country and the best possible athletes for that sport being born into that, right? Yes. All right. We're the okay. good old U.S. of A. All right, yes. we just bombed out of the World Cup playing a you know decent team in the Dutch. I have don't like to talk personal... about the word bombed with the United States, but it's okay. We're cool. Fair enough. All right, we have failed <laughs> to progress further in this sporting competition, and you know what? As the nation that owns the most gold medals in the most varied sports, <laughs> however obscure, this fucking pisses me off as a as a as a 
red, white, and blue-blooded American. Sure. I so <laughs> doubling down on my shitty take, and you guys can tell me I'm full of shit because um, you know. Uh, <laughs> I believe that, that we, we have the best athlete. I believe that we will win. I believe we have the best athletes in the world. I just don't think all of them are playing soccer all the time. Now, you have a guy <laughs> like DeMarcus Beasley. The man played sure. well into his 40s. He's been in he's been around the sport longer than I've been watching it. And you look at the guy, he's not physically imposing, but obviously his body is purpose built for this sport. His tendons sure. are right, his center of gravity's there, his proportions are there. He can run as long as the day is. He he could he could do all the things. But my assertion is that if you take the infrastructure, which we don't have, of a country like Spain, and then put our best athletes through that, you're going to get our absolute freak athletes who are born with like non-HGH supported messy level MCLs and ACLs. <laughs> right. And you're going to have those guys like Matt Turner started playing soccer when he was a teen. Okay. If the right. money and the infrastructure is there and that guy's Jedi reflexes are curated from the time he's seven, you know, we're, we are fucking the rest of the earth into the ground in this sport. But how do we get the money there, Kevin? How do so, we start having kids grow up wanting to be how do we get our black kids playing soccer <laughs> i'm just I'm, I'm going there how do we do it i mean you i i won't speak specifically to the how we get the black kids uh, i'll do it for sport, you if we need but, to just whisper I'll, off the I'll i'll throw it out there and say that the first thing you need to be able to do is establish a one a low cost of entry and two a clear path to money um I this is a, a a crass stereotype, but there are far fewer professional athletes from I'll say upper class, upper middle class backgrounds than there are from lower class, poor, working poor backgrounds. There there's been lots of writing and theorizing on this, and one thought is is that when you have a a kid in the favelas who views soccer as his only way out of poverty, he'll give it his all. Whereas uh, a recently uh, discovered or rediscovered video of Matt Turner in college said his five year plan was to be an investment banker. He he wasn't thinking <laughs> I'm making professional soccer or I'll kill myself because I will have nothing to live for. It, soccer was his plan C and it just so happened to keep working out. So there's one thought and it's kind of a, a, a gross thought that you need a desperate enough pool that views soccer as their only way out. And maybe you make that point about football and basketball and baseball in certain communities, but maybe not, maybe not. Um, and the other part is, yeah, the, the cost, uh, the barrier to entry uh, for soccer is way higher for some unknown reason. Um, I I can't, I haven't gotten to this point 
in uh, in fatherhood, but I imagine there will come a time where a five thousand dollar travel soccer team uh, will be an option. And I I don't understand how there can be fifteen to twenty multi thousand dollar travel soccer teams in Cincinnati that all have to go to Orlando to play the other teams from Cincinnati and Dayton <laughs> and Indianapolis. Just fucking play each other. Like what are we doing? <laughs> like it's it's you can play this game in your living room let alone any cow pasture you find um we've made it unnecessarily expensive and we don't have a professional infrastructure it's slowly getting there but we've lacked for the longest time a professional infrastructure that incentivized getting talented kids in for cheap or for free to me the big issue is culture and the culture mm-hmm. is is something that needs to be fixed. And part of that is to Kevin's point where it's not even that you have to convince the kids that this is your way out. You have to convince parents that this is their yeah. kids and their family's way out or pathway to success. Because what what's the Matt Turner's a great example of this, and that's that he grew up playing other sports because the default yep. position in America is is basketball. And it's football and it used to be baseball it used to be boxing to a certain extent but those sports have fallen out of favor and it's really basketball and football and what is the difference between america and the rest of the world right now we've closed a large part of the coaching gap a large part of the talent gap and the athleticism gap has always been closed we've always had the Mm -hmm. most athletic people that have been playing in the world cup even going back to the 90s we were far different level of fitness, sports science. It was all America led on that. But the part you can't make up is growing up at age three to six with a soccer ball at your feet and yep. getting those 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 minutes and those reps and just making it all second nature. Um, and, and as long as the default in America is your kid grows up playing basketball or grows up playing peewee football, and doesn't grow up committing to soccer and getting to high-level soccer uh, academies at an early age, we are always going to fall behind the eight ball because there's just a development curve you can't make up at a later date that you miss the milestones early on. I, I also think to a certain extent, that what we really need is a system of promotion and relegation in this country. To really, I'm, I'm fucking with you. I mean, no. okay. No, no, no. So you no, no, say no, no, that. No, you no, say no. that. But no, I want to point out very quickly. I don't, I don't say that. I don't say that. Shut up, Ted. Very quickly. Shut up, Ted. No, Ted. No, no, Ted. No. Sorry, Jesus Christ. Das Hark said. <laughs> <laughs> edits, edits will be had. Edits will be had. No, uh, leave it Das in. Harks it. insinuated that if we dropped America's. Uh, DNA pool into the Spanish infrastructure, we would produce better talent. What is the Spanish infrastructure different than the U.S. other than a promotion and relegation league system that encourages more professional teams to have more academies in more places? No, if you want to, a a systematic steroid injection program. Obviously, that. There's no. something to be said for the last decade being dominated by Spanish athletes. Do you want to know the, the easiest change I think we could make to the American system that would produce better teams on the world level is that all 50 states should have their own national team. And we Ooh. send one of those teams 
through to the World Cup. These these other nations like Spain, they're, they're like you can drive from one end of Spain to the other end of Spain in an afternoon. They're all small countries where right. the player pools all grew up playing together. They all play a unified system. That they don't come from one part of the country and then they go to another part of the country. They go to the national team where there's a different national system. Like have a system where all the kids in Ohio stay together through their entire youth development. All the kids in California stay together through their youth development. And then like, let them get used to playing with one another. Like Mason Mount has been playing with these other English teammates since he was a toddler. Yeah. Like they all play together. And like the US is such a big fucking country that we are scouring the entire country for, of 300 million people looking for what, 22 people? to play soccer yeah. together and trying to get them into like a team structure when they're it's all balkanized and how we do things run it at a state level then make the world cup qualifiers or like the the training pool for america a tournament of all 50 states national teams and send the best national the best state team to the world cup so i thinking about <laughs> this a little bit more chief i i was i was doing the the mental math the uh the larger a country is the worse they are at soccer geographically i was thinking about this think of just Other like brazil. physically the largest ones now here's the thing about brazil here there's two sneaky things about brazil one most of it's uninhabitable so you're really just looking at like slices of the coast but two to that point because i know brazil is like the one exception brazil has state leagues so they have a national league with the national pyramid with everything but then in the quote-unquote off season they actually have every state compete in its own professional league which is slightly different and kind of elevates or, or de-elevates teams in certain ways you might be onto something here. Which, like, it all goes back to my yeah. original point that the the roadmap for soccer in America already exists. We're reinventing a wheel that doesn't need to be reinvented. The the greatest sin of American soccer was that Don Garber and MLS decided to emulate the NFL when what they should have decided to emulate was college football, where Oof. you have regions and conferences yes. and rivals and all parts <laughs> of the country. Like... What do you want out of American soccer? You want great talent to come out of places like Alabama and Georgia yeah. and like fucking Clemson, South Carolina, I guess. That's where Clemson is, right? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know this testing. Um, but no, it's like, what is the one sport that engages the entirety of America all together? It's college football. It's all yes. weird parts of America that otherwise you know, might not be involved in the sport. There's an incentive to be involved because there's a team there, there's a conference there and there. And now there's a pathway through to win a national title, no matter where you are in the college football landscape. So what, what I really, uh, this is all just a long con that I just yes. want, I want SEC culture in soccer. I just, I want it to just mean more is what I want. I, I want people <laughs> that are so fired up about soccer that they are going to opposing teams' towns and poisoning the oak tree in the middle of the square. That's what I want. I want hey, people whoa, calling whoa, into talk whoa. radio like the Paul Feinbaum show going, Paul, Paul, the New England Revolution ain't played no one, Paul. You can't you can't match them up against the schedule that they play in Orlando, Paul. I... I, I have long held the idea that college football stole 
you know, culturally everything that soccer was supposed to be. Yes. Like the, the intense grassroots uh, connection. I, Chief, I don't know if you saw this or not. I am working on something for the Post uh, oh, I, website. I saw, I saw this. Oh. Is it an article? Well, you only saw. It's definitely I've not got, an article. It's for, it's for the Post. It's not an article. I've got 32 more layers underneath this. We go to 162 college teams, all right? Th this goes deep, my man. I've, I've got it all mapped out. It's going to be great. I'm telling you a promotion relegation college football system is everything this world needs the, the, what i love most about this that i saw is that since you're doing it just based on this year and not yes. like an amalgam of five years it means that yes. the tulane university of louisiana is somehow in league two when there is no objective reason that tulane should even be included in this chart i think it's an interesting it, this exercise just in terms of like where would they map onto this league system now was it an interesting reminder of just like how dumb the college football ranking system is because there's a bunch of fcs teams getting also votes for like the top 25 in the ap poll in like any objective measure they would not be getting a single vote <laughs> like it's just it's so silly like what voting is and like you can tell when a bad ballot puts like yeah like a i don't know a three loss whatever random sec team 10th you're like that's terrible you're like no actually they probably are the 10th best team in the country so um yeah just a little ridiculous um so to your point uh das harks I think, and this is in the the lost tapes of the Kenny Arena episode, and you did allude to it there. His his argument is our best freak athletes are playing soccer, and that Demarcus Beasley is a freak athlete, that Christian Pulisic is a freak athlete, and you're selling these guys short. So <laughs> something to keep in mind, you jerk. I, yeah, uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I still I still allege that, and this is no disrespect to those guys. I'm just saying we would have five of those guys. Our team would be France level deep where everyone has the flu and you still have, you know, yeah. Matweedy right. out there. Should we, uh, should, should we, try should we to start the podcast? I don't know. We just stay in podcast on, on track. <laughs> yes. Um, Maybe, maybe we pivoted this way because we're going to do in the 11 out of the 18 and maybe Das Harks, maybe you're in the 11 is your, uh, your creepy eugenics take on our freak athletes in the U.S. But you, you tell me what is, what is in your 11? What is out of your 18, uh, this week? I am putting you on the spot here as the newcomer. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm, <laughs> and I'm literally making it up as we sit here because my, my mind completely left the, uh, the, the segment as soon as you mentioned it, but. In the 11, for me, is one Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, I mean, quite literally yeah. not in the 11, but go ahead. You That's were, right. You no, are no, zigging no. when the rest of the world is zagging. Continue. You're goddamn right. You're goddamn right. The threat of the threat of. So if you're Portugal, the threat of Cristiano Ronaldo is so big, you are going to game plan specifically for that son of a bitch because you know he's going to be on the field. Sure. You know his six foot something, whatever frame is going to be getting on the end of headers. It's going to be slotting balls through. He's going to have that weird little waddle run that he does. And you're going to have to account for that. He then doesn't show up to start and your game plan is fucked. Now you have super <laughs> energetic kids with something to prove and they absolutely dominate you in the beginning, which makes you stretch the game out and just get straight up murdered. 
fantastic and brilliant. And Cristiano Ronaldo beat Switzerland by sitting on the bench. Thank you. <laughs> That's what That's a, a heck of a take. I... <laughs> Can can Ronaldo not play yet win his way to a Ronaldo Messi final? This is like hold on, this. Hold on. This is <laughs> oh, this please. is the ultimate like this is the ultimate Skip Bayless take right here. It really this is. is. This is Cristiano Ronaldo got benched in this game. Yet we're still going to find a way to give him credit for winning this game. It's like that's right. Like, like oh my god! Like the only thing missing is like a LeBron angle. Like could LeBron <laughs> learn from Cristiano Ronaldo and bench himself to help the Lakers win more games? Like, Can you imagine the fucking leadership that would that would <laughs> display? It would be my. It would be generational mind games. It would, people would remain shook. Their kids would be born shook from a move like that. This is the Ewing theory, but as a game plan, not as an overarching idea, but as like a strategic game plan for a particular matchup. I mean, I like Ronaldo's what, like thirty-seven years old. Somewhere yeah, I think he's that. exactly one year younger than me, which is going to piss me off forever. Because <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's why being a Tom Brady fan is so awesome. Is that it's the last athlete alive that I can root for that's so older than I am. And I was like, hell yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> I can look up to you, and it's not weird. It's kind of yeah, weird, but it's creepy seeing uh, professional athletes that were born give or take when uh, when you're graduating high school. That's, right, I'm that's already an adult, moment. and this person is still not alive yet. <laughs> um, no, I don't. So, I don't. I don't buy the Ronaldo take. He just washed. He's washed. No. He got washed out of Man U. He's he didn't washed. get washed out of so so to continue to continue my now out of the eighteen I believe it's called yes that is so it. to so before the hairs on Ronaldo's balls snap I have to make this take before I fall off of them um, <laughs> out of the eighteen in general jealousy over super attractive <laughs> accomplished players and attempts to malign them uh, for perceptions of their current failures when actually no 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 success is on the horizon have you seen have you seen the dollar figures in the Saudi Arabia deal never mind that right now trending is that's not actually a deal that's set in stone let's ignore that for now i'm trying to make an irrational point about a athlete that i'm celebrating for no good reason we're talking about the greatest of all time. Kevin, you ran a simulator with 11 Ronaldos and 11 Messis. No matter how irrational and and non-scientific and not actually uh, data gathering that that exercise was, what were the results of that test? R Ronaldo did win. That's oh, that's nonsense. all the argument we need. It's nonsense. <laughs> I think it's only because he's taller and therefore no, I know, a I know. goalkeeper. It's, it's, look, the bit only works if I stick to it despite evidence to the contrary. So that's what I'm going to do. I I still think the Ronaldo-Messi World Cup final would be just the perfect ending to this era of two of the, the best soccer players of all time being neck and neck, uh, essentially playing for rivals for the vast majority of their careers. Um, really good. Also, that Ronaldo contract, by the way, you want to talk about a, a pathway to money, and obviously not everybody can be Ronaldo. If you were to take the 
highest paid player in all of the U.S.'s big four leagues and combine them together, I think you end up a hair short of the contract Ronaldo was going to be getting Jesus. in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I believe every league maxes out at about $50 million a season for their top players, and he was going to be getting north of $200 million a season. So, whew. Uh, <laughs> The the type of salary you pay to a washed player get the get uh, get up on out of here with. That. I mean, he is quite the brand. Um, <laughs> I right, yeah, he's chief. He, he is a he's a he's a brand that wears shoes and kicks a ball. Uh, that is true, uh, chief. You, you've got something you've put into your eleven this week. Uh, in the eleven is free agency. Um, it's it's baseball free agency and i love baseball free agency just because it's a <laughs> it's a yearly reminder of that just because we live in cincinnati we don't appreciate how much fucking money still gets spent in major league baseball and oh, yeah. even in the middle of the world cup just how far um like baseball still is able to carve this little niche out for itself where it's a shocking amount of money that gets paid for what is undoubtedly probably the third most important sport now in North America yeah. behind the NBA and the NFL and fourth, if you put college football separate, <laughs> seriously. And like how just one of these major contracts being signed by some of these players would equal out the entire payroll of the Eastern and Western conference in MLS. And yeah. <laughs> just the staggering difference in monetary valuation that MLS has to overcome to even get in the same neighborhood as other sports in this country, not even going to the NFL or the NBA, right, but right. it's unbelievable to me. Like, like they're talking like Aaron judge is going to sign a half a billion dollar deal when that finally gets announced, but it hasn't been announced already. And just middling talents in baseball still commanding over a hundred million dollar deals. And why don't kids go and play soccer in America? It's because Aaron judge makes that kind of money and absolutely no one can, tell you how much the highest played American is in MLS. It's opaque. They don't make you right. make an announcement of it when it happens. You have to wait for the MLSPA salary dump to come out to let you know who is the highest paid American in the in MLS. Right. And, and they it's have probably an incentive. a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's maybe a million bucks. And the, uh, the players union has an incentive to, uh, maybe inflate those or include every bonus and, and every option there. Yeah. It is, it is ridiculous. Uh, Major League Baseball, if you're even a bad player, but get one plate appearance in the majors, you get what health care for life and a uh, guaranteed hundred thousand or half million dollars for that season. I forget what it is. It's absurd just to even make it to the majors one time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing, though is baseball's like average viewer is something like 55 years old, right? Yeah. Like at what point does it come back down? And maybe it never does. Maybe it is just something that every millennial and Gen Xer and Gen Zer it like grows into. Like I imagine golf is in a similar spot, but just like more golfers just keep coming up, right? So like I, it is going to be interesting to see like what happens when a massive major sport like this dies. It's been since like, like you said, boxing. boxing or horse racing that we've seen something like this collapse. 
Um, and even and I, then, like Floyd Mayweather was still like, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> boxing is still like, is boxing healthy? No, but like the top boxers in the world still make shitloads of money. And even like, yeah. you look at these MMA guys, the MMA guys yeah. all go to box to make a payday. Like Conor M McGregor, I think he made more money in that fight with Floyd Mayweather than he did in every one of his previous MMA fights combined. Yeah. Like boxing is a big prize fight is still a huge draw. It's it's just one of those things too where it's it's so with baseball in particular, I I, I am curious to see what happens because there was a thing I saw the other day where somebody was complaining about, you know, well, MLS is gonna be so hard to watch on TV. It's like, my man, do you realize how hard it is to watch the Reds on TV? Like unless so you subscribe to Direct TV dish network or spectrum you can't watch the reds there's no amount of money you can pay to buy an a la carte package to watch the reds here locally and yet even yeah. despite that despite how hard it is to watch a baseball game they're all still making you know easy 80 million dollars guaranteed for even a bad player yeah so we just have to wait 200 years and then it'll <laughs> right. sort itself out. i mean optimistically you're looking at 60 years but yeah, uh, it would be interesting to see a future where uh, baseball games are behind a pay-per-view. Like, like it just it, once in a blue moon, you get a Yankees-Dodgers matchup, and you're like, oh, shit, I got to drop 200 bucks to watch this one. <laughs> I paid 25 bucks to watch a Man United-Arsenal game in, like, 2006 on you know, Satanta Sports. Yeah, Bleacher Report. Uh, the one year I think they had the Champions League, they experimented with that. It was like seven bucks for a Champions League matchup, and then if you tuned in, it was at like the seventy-fifth minute, you could buy it for a dollar. <laughs> it's a weird, like dynamic weird pr dynamic pricing is to like say you want to buy in, it's we'll prorate the outcome for you. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, or then if it's like if it's two two, <laughs> it's like nine dollars to get in because you've you've skipped to the exciting bit. That would be pretty uh, cool if like, if, if like with that little no yeah. sports if sports teams did that with ticketing, where like you can buy a ticket to an FCC game from the box office, but it's full price before kickoff, and the price slowly drops depending on game outcome where like if the other team scores real quick and fcc is down one nil all of a sudden the ticket price is like five dollars but like if they tie it back up the price goes back up because now the game is exciting yeah i've always had this really dumb idea i've never never done the math on it to see if this works but i would love to see a team do this just because i think this is funny uh you have a 40,000 person stadium, right? So the first ticket you sell should be $1. The second ticket you sell should be $3. And the third ticket is five. Like, and it just keeps going up and up and up. And at some point, you'll find some middle ground where like you got a half full stadium, but you've made your full amount. But if it's a big enough game, you'll just continue to sell and sell and sell. But like, if you want to be first, you can get in there first and you get the cheaper ticket. It incentivizes like being a hardcore fan. I don't know. I haven't really thought a way to actually pull this <laughs> off, but in my mind, it's like the way to do it. No, it's the best possible idea where it's, I really even thought this through, but intuitively the first three sentences make a lot of sense. So let's roll with it and see this. what happens. <laughs> Which seat did they get? I haven't got that far. No, we don't all have right? to think about that at all. <laughs> There's a lottery, come on. Everything can be solved with the lottery. Um, Chief, what is out of your 18? <laughs> My out of the 18 is rivalries. Um, Ooh, okay. It is Crosstown Shootout Week. And oh, is it just geez. me? Or do I remember when I was a kid, the Crosstown <laughs> Shootout used to be like one of the biggest deals locally in oh, sports. Yeah. Like sure. everyone would talk yeah. about the Crosstown Shootout. It was like you circled it on the calendar. It was an event. 
The teams hated one another. The coaches hated one another. Um, they televised it on local over-the-air TV. And the it just split feels... brand ball was at Skyline. I think they still oh. have the split brand ball. I don't know. Oh, okay. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I'm just making that up. But like, doesn't it feel like this, the shootout, just nobody cares about it anymore? Like More people were fixated on who the new UC coach was going to be than the fact the fucking shootout is on Saturday. I hate yeah. this. I was going to say it's still football season on the UC side of the uh, <laughs> of, of the equation here. Um, yeah, uh, UC basketball sucks this year, uh, I think it's fair to say. And I think it's fair to say that the, I don't know, maybe this is controversial, the vast majority of the city is a UC fan of this rivalry. Right. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason to get up for it because That's we're going to get... That's sad. Like, I like, we'll, I like, we'll see you next year. <laughs> no, it's it's it, you should be up for it this year. This is the first chance. This will be the first time in history. If Xavier wins this game, it'll be the first time in history a UC senior will go 0 and 4 against the Xavier Musketeers. Like there's a genuine opportunity where there will be a player that graduates from UC having never beaten Xavier. This game used to mean something. It was cool. It was two major programs separated by like yeah. two miles. And like the city used to get up for this. And it sucks that it isn't like that anymore. I miss it. I hate it. I wish no. I wish the city still gave a fuck. And they obviously don't. And I'm the last I will be the last person here <laughs> talking about the fact that it's shootout week. And I'm excited. I'm excited that it's shootout week. Like, do you remember when they Ooh. wouldn't even call it shootout anymore? Because they were <laughs> they like, tried oh. that. They were like, we're gonna call it the Crosstown Classic because shooting oh. is violent. And that lasted like two years. Well, they Fuck did this. that after after the incident. <laughs> <laughs> you remember Kenny Freeze got decked like a sack of meat? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, does the announcement of Xavier football take the steam out of the Crosstown shootout? Mm, maybe there's a take. No. Xavier football's Xavier football's gonna be non-scholarship. It's a it's a cash oh. grab by the university because they know if we start football up, we're guaranteed to get a hundred more students paying so that they can continue their dream of playing football at the, at the, the Pioneer League <laughs> level. It's the ultimate wish fulfillment for untalented motherfuckers. Oh, but just wait until they become like the uh, the FCS opponent for for the Bearcats every single year, and they they pull one off. <laughs> See, that's the problem though is that Tommy Tuberville isn't coaching. Because if Tommy Tuberville was still coaching the Bearcats, I guarantee you he would lose a game to Xavier just because he was out on the golf course the entire week before the game and just forgot to game plan. <laughs> yeah, that that actually completely tracks. <laughs> All right, Kevin, in the eleven. Uh, in my 11, this is a weird one, uh, T. Now, I've I've long been anti-T. I, I have not made this opinion public on any podcast or any or any written form. I could not take a sip of tea without like involuntarily like gag reflex kicking off and like trying to vomit. Like a any version American of right tea. There. I yeah. tried everything. I tried hey. tried your Earl Grey's, tried your green tea. I'll tell you what wasn't even a fan of bubble tea that isn't even tea all right like i was way out on it and uh just one day i i was walking down the aisle of kroger i saw some tea whatever i was like you know what let's give it a shot it's been a while and uh i love it i love herbal teas it turns ah, out that's my sweet ah. spot you have finally real tea dad but... powers activated <laughs> love, wait how do you hold tea. on hold on how did you not love the the greatest like before anyone before you start realizing that I probably shouldn't be consuming 300 calories in a beverage like when yes. I'm out and about like the 99 cent Arizona Arnold Palmer 
was just the greatest thing to buy at a gas station. Like, I'm thirsty. (laughs) I need as much liquid as I can get for a dollar. Here's this mortar shell of lemonade and iced tea together. (laughs) Fucking delicious. How do you not like that? That's un-American not to like the Arizona tea. It's literally got a name of one of the United States on the bottle. Like... As a uh, as a tried and true Coca Cola drinker, I was always jealous of the can size. I it might have been against the FDA's rules to sell soda in that large of a can. But <laughs> do you remember when that Snapple was... was a thing back like in the late '90s, early 2000s? And they had little yes. fun facts under the bottle, and everybody got all, all the you know middle class women got excited about Snapple all the time. That was a yes, that I was did a fun the '90s. <laughs> that was a fun two years. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, it's somewhat related. Fuse. Do you remember the glass fuse bottles? Those were a big deal for a year. No, it was a, it was a yeah. weird fruit juice. Came in a big glass bottle. Super weird. Uh, That's like a, went to plastic. I, do a, I do a mild <laughs> obsession with beverages that don't exist any longer. Like I yes. got really unnaturally excited when Crystal Pepsi came back like a couple summers ago, <laughs> just because it's like it was objectively terrible. And the only reason it came back is that eventually, if you wait long enough, everyone becomes nostalgic for awful things. And yes. sure, it was Crystal Pepsi's time. It was fine. The, the soda advertised by Max Headroom. Yeah, we'll bring that back. Why not? Like, everybody's <laughs> fucking idiotic. Um, yeah, like Surge. Surge was disgusting ooh, when it was out the yes. first time. And it came back and it was still disgusting. And did I buy a rack of it? You're sure goddamn did. right I did. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to taste those memories, man. <laughs> that's right. that's yeah. what that's for. <laughs> you remember when you when you were growing up and like Jolt Cola was this taboo yes. thing to have where it's like you know, as yeah. much cup, as much coffee, as much caffeine as a cup of coffee was their selling point. And it's like Ooh. now I drink like four cups of coffee in the morning just to function. Like suddenly right. that tagline isn't so <laughs> dangerous anymore. It's like, yeah, right. I know I drink a lot of fucking coffee. And Jolt was disgusting, and you could only get it at like Oxford. So, it, yeah. If you're a, was, if you're uh... an, if you're an old head in the soda game and just like love nostalgia and sodas, there's a documentary on Netflix now about the kid that uh, there was a commercial back in the day where if you drank enough Pepsi points, it would give like there it would there was a commercial that said, okay, here's what you can cash in with your Pepsi points. If you have this many, you can get a t-shirt. If you have this many, you can get this. And then at the end, they said for 65 million, you can get a Harrier jet. And it was like obviously a joke, but this one kid figured out a way to get 65 million Pepsi points and submitted them and said, your commercial said I can get a Harrier jet. It didn't say joke. There was no fine print. Right. I want my Harrier jet. And it caused a massive legal headache for Pepsi. And there's a documentary about it on Netflix now. And it's just outstanding. Oh, that's great. There was a, no, I'm not, there was a sign museum aside I was going to do about Burma shave. And we're just going to leave that be. Uh, there's enough dad energy with my tea takes. All right. Uh, out of the 18, I'm putting Europe out of the 18 because Ooh, the World Cup. Continent. It has too many European countries in it, and I understand that they're good, and I understand that they make up a huge number of the knockout rounds at this point uh, in the tournament, but I find that super annoying, and I think on some level the World Cup is, yes, an attempt to find the best teams in the world, but I think it should also be somewhat representative of the world, and I think this is my solution to everybody. 
I think we need to follow the South American model of everybody needs to get into qualifying regions of 10 or I'll say eight to 14 teams. And we can take two teams from each of those. And that makes up the world cup. We'll still get the best teams, but we get a little more representation, a little more cultural and geographic diversity. Like let the Caribbean, you know, do their own qualifying let the middle east do their own qualifying let southern parts of africa do their own qualifying i don't i don't want 55 european nations at this 48 team world cup uh give me give me more of the rest of the world and also fuck the dutch i think that just is included in here that's just this is a part of maybe where this is largely coming from but i'm out on europe right now okay okay progressive bladder to me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like way to go Jao Havalange we really need to get more representation from Africa and the Caribbean nations like this Hashtag is great Havalange did nothing wrong <laughs> <laughs> he was right for the wrong reasons alright <laughs> I mean I, I think there's too many SEC teams and too many Big Ten teams in the college football playoff I, what I really want is more representation from the MAC. let's get Ohio University and Toledo in there so they can get curb stomped by Ohio State by 50 points. That's Ah, but hang on, but hang on. This is where we need the federal government to come in, break oh, up boy. the SEC monopoly, and if there isn't just one conference that gives you the most access to the national championship, more players will be committing to Kent State when they know that they, they've got the easier route to the national championship. Balance some powers out, baby. So why not just make the World Cup where, like, you don't have to play for your country. You just have to play for the country that you hold the passport to. So we start recruiting international athletes. <laughs> That's, I mean, that is what the rules were until, like, 1956. So, yes. Saudi Arabia wins every World Cup from here on out. It'll be great. Depending on how much of the last segment shows up here, we we went off the rails. Subscribe to the Patreon for the uncensored takes, all right? Uh, There there is no Patreon. Uh, The United States is out of the World Cup. Uh, It was a disappointing loss, but it's not one I don't think... I felt, I mean, I'll speak for me. I did not feel too bad afterwards. I feel like it was about what we expected from this team. Maybe a little better, depending on how you really felt about Greg Berhalter. Uh, I think in general, though, it's hard not to feel a little optimistic about the future. Chief, what what is your top line takeaway here on this team? My top line takeaway is that it's. I have real mixed feelings. Um, yeah. And I think that most people do in that you look at where the U.S. team they they advanced to the past the group stage and that's better than like it's better than Germany did. Germany didn't make yeah. it out of group stage and you know tournament soccer is is a is a different it's a different kind of animal it's a different kind of bird. But um, my my conflict my conflicting feelings are that advancing out of group should be the expectation. Yeah. Um, I think that we are past the point as a country with being satisfied with being the plucky underdogs and. Oh, they tried real hard and they made it out of group and what an accomplishment. And then when they got to the, you know, the, the knockout and they play the Netherlands, it just, it reveals just this wide gulf in tactics, talent, and ability. And the match was, was non-competitive. I don't know 
I don't agree with. I know some people were saying, oh, they, they, they really did play him tough. It, you look at the numbers. I mean, they scored at will. Like they just, when they felt like undressing us, they undressed us. When they wanted to possess, they possessed. When they wanted to lay back, they lay back. There was there was no point where I think that they felt even remotely threatened that this game was not going to go their way. And it's just, you, you can watch it and it's just a better, freer, flowing form of soccer. And I, I, it's, I don't know if who had to take, it might've been you in the group chat, Kev. But just it it points to me that it's time now with the talent level that's on the American side, they need to, for the next cycle, bring in a manager that will play a more open, more adaptable to the world stage brand of soccer. Like that ability to move the ball and find space and create space and create scoring opportunities and create people that were open and able to score like uh like memphis on his first goal like the u.s doesn't create opportunities like that the u.s works so hard to score and it just can't be that way the next world cup so am i happy with how the u.s did uh, overall yeah I, I can't be unhappy with reaching the, the knockout stage but the, the next the next step for this team is not to just be happy to get there it's that when they get there they have to be in a position to really put some fear in someone. And there was there were very few matchups in the in the knockout stage where they would go into that matchup and the other team would be afraid of having to play America. And that's got to right. change in the next cycle is at least my take on this. Yeah. Uh Dust Harks, what's what's your top line takeaway of this this No, I I think the chief covered a lot of it, but I'm 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 sitting here looking at the roster and I know Hackney take incoming, but I'm looking at Jordan Morris. I'm looking at Roldan. I'm looking at Sergeant. I'm looking at Wright. And I'm wondering in what fucking universe Brandon Vasquez doesn't get at least a decent look when you're looking at the guys we brought who, for the most part, never touch the field uh, and don't provide anything that we were missing, which we were missing something that, I mean, if Wright had more quality, maybe he could have provided. Of course, you know, he had a goal in the last game, but if you leave the goals out of it. Right. Like right. it hit the, the very back of his heel going the wrong direction. Like, right. But there were so many times in matches where I thought if only we had somebody to hold this ball up, if only we had some size, we were an undersized team. I know we went for youth yeah. and, and I, I do think, in some ways, and this goes flies right in the face of my freak athlete uh, argument, but uh, you know our guys mm-hmm. kind of worked some of the teams off the pitch at times. Uh, but you know the quality's just not there. But actually, it is. You know, person to person, the quality is there. Um, I, I frankly don't think they were coached all that well. Um, I think we could have done better in that regard. Again, nothing, nothing groundbreaking there, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed because I, we're going to have to wait four more years, go through another, well, we won't have to go through a qualification cycle, but we're, yeah, please. And, and does that make us worse? I don't know. Like, you know. We don't. We only get a few opportunities to see these guys. They're going to be in friendly matches. Do they take? Do they take that seriously? Very you know, much I, so. Absolutely. I, I I wasn't sure how to feel during during this World Cup at times. You know, with the Qatar and all that. We are I, I'll spare all the comments on that. But I also drummed for many of those matches. I I felt a weird sort of 
not ownership, but but sort of like, hey, I kind of in a in an indirect way at least contributed to this. Absolutely. But something felt off about it, and I'm part of it was I didn't feel like we were going there. Yeah. With our best foot forward, I I feel like we had a lot more to offer. I think the guys deserved more. I think they were missing some pieces on the field they would have liked in support. Like when we were facing set pieces, we looked utterly uh, vulnerable. Yep. We just didn't have enough height, size, organization, frankly. Um, I At one point, we had Josh Sargent marking some ogre on the field. Like that stuff like that just <laughs> shouldn't happen. You know, I, I just, I don't get it. I'm just some, you know, uh, dude on the couch watching actual athletes go to work but just some of this stuff seems easier to solve than i think we were making it as a national team and i do hope next time around we're more organized right, we so, are better than we did so kevin I have, I have a question and this has been rattling around in my brain since the netherlands game is this u.s men's national team better off than it was eight years ago I mean, and from a results point of view, we're exactly where we were eight years ago. Like at the at an individual talent level, yes, this team is undoubtedly more talented top to bottom than it was eight years ago. But for all the good it did, we scored what? We scored fewer goals in group than I think we did the last go around. We got to the exact same spot. We got to the knockout stage and went out one game in, just like the last time. Um, like it to me, it's I I see. I see improvement in the team, but I just don't see progress towards the greater overall goal. If the greater goal is to win a World Cup, I just don't see progress towards that goal. I see we are exactly where we were, where we have always been, and that's that we are an underdog when we reach we reach the knockout phase, the knockout stage. Right. So <clears throat> let me let me be the optimist here. One, I was pretty happy with the U.S.'s performance. I think the two things that undid this team were the two things that we kind of knew would undo this team, which is they didn't have a striker, or at least not a good one, uh, it, on this roster. I think they left Jordan Peefalk and, and Brandon Vasquez at home, the two good strikers in the, in the player pool. And uh, we knew we were going to we- be weak at center back. We were down uh, – our two starting center backs that would have been there uh, otherwise. And uh, we, we had to fill in the gaps with what we had. Tim Ream was a, a late addition to this team. Didn't even have time to gel with Walker Zimmerman. And we started, yeah, an MLS center back against these guys. Like he, he's going to get undone uh, from time to time on this stuff. I think if you look at it this way, I, I view the world cup because it happens every four years, you have to view it generationally. And the 2014 World Cup was the last, uh, like, burst of effort, the last chance we were going to see that particular generation. The uh, the Demarcus Beasley, um, Landon Donovan, and uh, Clint, Clint Dempsey. Dempsey generation. Yeah. And, of course, Donovan is controversially left off that team. But, like, that was, like, them cresting. What we didn't have was that next generation the only member of that generation that ended up being a quality player of any kind you maybe argue jeff cameron but it's yedlin is is basically the only kid from that generation like we missed olympic qualifying so many years in a row like you could see this gap in talent working its way up the u.s youth pipeline and that gap 
is something that U.S. soccer recognized before it ever hit the 2018 fiasco. And that's why they created like these residency programs, which to your point, Chief, is like trying to get these guys reps as long as possible when they're in youth teams. That's why McKinney, Adams and Pulisic and <laughs> Brandon Vasquez played on multiple youth teams growing up so that they all get those reps in together. I think what you have now is a talented team, a far more talented team in a deep deep roster that not just four years from now but if you were to drop this team eight years from now yes some of these guys will fall off a cliff and yes some of these guys will be injured and some of them won't have as high a ceiling as we think they might but i'd be willing to bet that you would rather take this team eight years from now than you would have taken the 2014 team in 2018 so i I think you have a longer runway of more talent coming on Not to mention, if none of our starters in Qatar could go in the next World Cup, I do think we have enough talented young guys in the pipeline. Uh, Not necessarily the guys who were immediately left off this roster, but the the 18, 17-year-olds in MLS now that have long, promising future careers. I think those guys will carry us through. Um, I mean, think about it this way. The Netherlands didn't see us as a team that they could go and immediately attack and walk over. And yes, they had their way with us because they exploited a weakness. One, we couldn't score. And two, we were going to struggle in transition with old, slow center backs. And that's exactly what they did. But how many times have we seen the U.S. team, you know, being given the ball against a team like the Netherlands of like, try to beat us? The assumption wasn't that we're going to run all over you. We're going to do what we want. It was, you know, come, come and see, you know, hit us with your best shot and we'll go from there. And I promise you, if Pulisic's chance in the first three minutes goes in, it's a wildly different game because yeah. then they have to try. And I really do think that if they had to match up to us one-to-one, it would have been a much different game. So that's that's where I take. And yes, this is the most homer take of all time. I think we win this game with Brandon Vasquez up top. <laughs> I'll, I'll die on that hill. I mean, you're not going to get me disagreeing that Brandon Vasquez would win any game he played. That's just it's right. False. I I mean, it's a hypothetical, so I can always be right here. This, this, this is uncheckable. But um, no, that's that's my look at the future. And yeah, I think Burhalter was actually a decent manager for this go around. But I'll like throw something out of left field for you guys. I want Saudi Arabia's manager for next round. I mean. That that guy took a bunch of nothings and assuming there was no match fixing involved, he, he got really good performances out of those guys. He has years and years of experience in England and then with various national teams. He's done well in Africa and the African Cup of Nations. Yeah, are we, are we talking about Carlos Kiros? I th- no, 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 no. That's the Iranian manager. Ah, uh, um, got it, got it, got it. The, uh, I forget the, uh, the Saudi's name, but, um, but yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I, I kind of want like a, a proven tournament manager to just guide this team and like knows how to manage a knockout round because you don't need to qualify. And honestly, the big thing I'm looking forward to now is Copa America. I really hope the U.S. and Canada and bring along Mexico and Costa Rica get to come. And I think it'd be a, a hell of a tournament. And I think that's the one to look forward to in two years. Maybe they host it in the U.S., but that'd be fun. We're all in agreement. We're we're all in agreement, though, that it, it, the U.S. shouldn't renew Greg's contract, and it's time to don't. It, they have like they have to go in a different direction. I think. Yeah. Um, just because, like you said, Kevin, I appreciate the idea, 
that this team is sort of starting from a perspective of where the last great generation of American players finished. So you yeah. would hope that by the time they reach the prime of their career, they have reached a height the other team couldn't reach because they're starting from the position that they they ascended to. But right. it, you, the idea, the, the problem with American soccer is that we tend to hold on to our managers too long and we don't recognize enough that what a young player needs at age 20, 21, 22 isn't exactly the same thing as what they need to see at 24, 25, 26. And you need to have managers that are able to to get the best out of each player at different stages of their careers. And the guy I'm hoping for is if he doesn't, you know, survive this cycle and he's a a person that loses that is Garrett Southgate is if England decides that they're going to move on after this cycle. That would be a great hire. (laughs) Just because like he's a guy where that England team is on the same timetable as where I think America will be in four years. Yeah, um, they're about four years ahead, yeah. And so that that's, I think that no matter which direction you go, I don't know much about the Saudi Arabia guy. I was impressed by how Saudi Arabia played in this tournament. But yeah. the, the only mistake I think the U.S. can make from this point is doubling down on Greg Berhalter. Because no matter what you think about what Greg Berhalter did, if you're a Greg apologist or you're a Greg hater, either way, it's time to say, it's time to close the book on that chapter of American soccer and move forward with new ideas that are that are better tailored to the team we're going to find ourselves with in four years versus continuing on from the team that was in this cycle. Yeah, Two I'll syllables. even go. Yep, Stam. Oh my God, no! <laughs> How dare you, Jesus? This can Tyler this, can Tyler Black and apply for a one-time like transfer under FIFA or, rules or Dutch Dutch hatred aside another candidate Louis Van Hall. Okay, so I would love that uh just morbidly. I don't know if he'll be here. I don't know if you guys know this, but he he had a whole documentary filmed about him. He is like undergoing cancer treatment right now. Like he Ooh, is oh, like shit. Yeah, like that. it's actually wild that he looks as good as he is like he's like i think he's still getting like or he just wrapped up chemotherapy like right before this tournament like wild for that guy but yeah i agree i think he'd be great they're actually uh belgium is like desperate to hire him right now it's like the big thing that's happening um yeah you know what i don't want though i don't want jesse marsh for no. all of the reasons why yeah. Burhalter was what he was. I really want somebody with national team experience. And I you just like I just worry that like on paper, Burhalter did every single thing you'd ask for a manager of the US to do other than top CONCACAF. They lost to to Canada, I think on goal difference, actually. I think we tied them on points. I could be wrong about that. But beat Mexico three times, won Nations League against Mexico, uh, won the Gold Cup against Mexico, qualified for the World Cup, uh, get out of the group and lose to a, 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 you know, a perennial superpower in the Netherlands. I mean, on paper... He did everything. Maybe it's different if he beats the Netherlands, but I just worry that it was enough to keep him around for too I d- long. I just don't understand why. So, like, to your point on that, like, Jesse Marsh is at least moving in the right direction because he's managed over in the Premier League right. for how much longer, God only knows. But, like, I don't understand this logic where if you have made your choice that we are going to rely on players who play their football over in Europe, who play in European leagues – and receive yes. European coaching, why when they come back to the United States, you have an MLS guy coaching them. 
Like, go get a right. guy who speaks the language, quote unquote, of the style <laughs> of football that they're being asked to play over over in Europe, over in the European leagues. Go get a guy who's going to manage them like you manage European talent. That's what they are. Our best players, our best 11 is what, 90%, 80% guys playing over in Europe? But like guys playing in Europe or too expensive in MLS to actually go to Europe. Like Zimmerman would be great in Belgium, but he's not going to get a million bucks a year in Belgium. So like, yes. Right. So <laughs> go, go get a guy that manages that style. Go get a guy. And that's, right. that's what my whole point about like the manager has to grow with the team. And yes. for better or worse, whatever you think of the job Burhalter's done, this represents the apex of what Burhalter is able to accomplish with this group of players. And now it's time to go get someone who can start fresh as they enter the next chapter of them. Like your next cycle is going to be a Christian Pulisic that has spent almost a decade in Europe. It's going yeah. to be players where it's not like on their first contract in Europe. It's their second, third, fourth contract in Europe. And you're going to have the next generation of 18-year-olds that are already over there that are starting on their club teams. So, so get somebody that speaks that language. I've said this name before, and I misrepresented who he coached for, but someone near and dear to my uh, soccer-watching tenure, Carlos Quiroz. He has been yeah. a national team manager for several countries. He was a longtime Man United assistant and he knows how to manage young attitudes, how to coach them into a system that they are either unaware or hesitant to, to follow. And he can also handle stars at the same time and get them to follow the program. I know he was credited in many cases with assimilating some of the, let's say, South American players that, you know, Man United had some trouble doing that. <laughs> In, at, at various <laughs> stages but nonetheless I, I feel like he'd be a guy we could afford who might like the challenge and has the experience to get the job done you know another name that that popped into my mind while you're doing that as well uh yergi low yeah <laughs> what's, what's, what's he up to yeah. i mean that was that was the story of the german national team is that klinsman built a great base but he it took a a tactician's mind to actually get that team over the hump and and i don't know maybe maybe klinsman laid an athletic groundwork for for low to come in and uh and do good things with. so the it, it's going to be interesting to me because it, you can see like the evolution of where the American player pool is. And it's, it's fascinating to me yeah. of that. Uh, the, the last team that made the world cup in 2014, it was primarily domestic based talent and a couple players that had had a little bit of time in Europe and, you know, maybe it'd come back to MLS or whatever yeah. the deal was. Now it's the first generation of players where they are all on their their first contracts, their early days of Americans being accepted over at club teams. In four yeah. years, that's going to be the rule. It's going to be the yes. exception to the rule that you see a guy like Walker Zimmerman on the roster because you, that, that number is just going to be a force multiplier. Like all those guys are still going to be playing in Europe and the next generation are going to be playing in Europe. Now the yep. expectation is, is that our top talent is going to be over in Europe. So hmm. – you almost have to change how you view what the role of the national team manager is to, you know, it now it's this weird combination of we are integrating top European talent with domestic talent. And so Burhalter yeah. did a pretty good job of that. He had national camps that meshed those two groups together that kept the travel issues from being too burdensome for anyone. 
You know, he selectively made sure he was calling people in at times when it wasn't interfering with other club right. schedules or injuries. The next manager isn't going to need that skill set. The next manager is going to need the skill set of operating with primarily a 90 to 95% European-based roster. So yeah. what you are asking of the manager at each stage is completely different. And it's going to take a different skill set than I think that Jesse Marsh possesses and certainly a different skill set than Greg Berhalter possesses. And my, my only hope is that um, we've become sophisticated enough as a soccer uh, playing nation, as a soccer fan base for the national team, and really as a soccer media, because a lot of this narrative about who manages and what the status of the managers is media driven to a certain extent, that yes. it, th we need to be comfortable with this idea. And it's very foreign in American sports, because in American sports, you, you manage something until you fail. And like, right. we're going to keep you on as our manager until you give us a reason to fire you. We are not comfortable with this idea of thank you very much. You did a great job, but you are no longer the right fit for what we need to do. Like that would be unfathom an unfathomable thing to say to Nick Saban. You wouldn't say to Nick right. Saban, you have been a phenomenal head coach of Alabama, but it's the NIL era. And even yeah. though you haven't started to lose yet, you're not the right fit for us going forward. So we're going to preemptively get rid of you to bring in Deion Sanders because that guy understands how to draw money, how to pay players money legally. Could and how you to... imagine though? <laughs> but there's an argument that you yeah. should be doing that, that, that yeah. you should be looking at some of these coaches, especially in college football and saying, you know what? You're just not cut out for the way the, the, the future is. So we're going to go ahead and, and skip the part where we lose a bunch of games and slowly descend down as our lunch yep. gets eaten by younger, hungrier coaches that understand how to work the system. No one's going to do that because it's such a foreign concept. But we have to be willing to do that with Burhalter. We have to be willing to say, you did a great job. You served your country well. Good luck. Call us if you need a reference for someone. But we've got to go in a different direction right now. It's funny how we're so backward in that way where European sports are capitalist and <laughs> our sports are so socialized, but our corporate structure in America is such that, yeah, we're willing to let, let we're going to reorganize. So you've been right. great for us. Uh, it's not you, it's us, whatever. Here's your severance. Good luck to you. But in our sports, that's foreign. When everyone who watches them has been laid off like that before. Which is funny you mentioned that because college football is the one place where sports are still very much capitalist. That there yeah. are there are the haves and the have-nots, and that's part of the system. Uh, True. Interesting. Interesting conversation. I think overall, are we optimistic? Are we pe pessimistic about the future? Then we'll wrap this up. Optimistic. 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 For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's, I, I, I have to ask the question of like, are you better off than you were four or eight years right. ago? Because like the results don't change. Like we're still at the right. same result. But I mean, you, you have to like the way they played through the group stage. You have to like the way they, that the young talent played well. And, yeah, we're just not there with the Netherlands. We're not there with – if we were in a knockout stage with England, we don't draw them. We lose that game to England too, which is we're not there yet. The only yeah. question for me and the concern for me is that I don't know that I have faith in the administration of U.S. soccer to do what is necessary to take the next steps. And I'm You mean – Greg Berhalter's brother has to fire him. Right. <laughs> I can't or, imagine your right. hesitancy. Or like with Ernie with an A has to justify still having his job after all of these years. So it is what Love it is. To I be just, the technical director. Right. It's just it's I, I I trust our players. We have never produced more talented 
and more exciting players to watch. The problem is we aren't producing administrators and coaches that I want to have running those players right now. And so yes. my only source of pessimism is that I just don't, I don't trust the U.S. soccer to do what they need to do to continue to grow this program and continue to get the most out of uh, this talent we're producing on the field. Introducing your next U.S. men's national team manager, Caleb Porter. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, he's a realistic option given who's in charge. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they they no, called the wor- no, fired the, him the, at the wrong no, time. <laughs> the, the worst possible outcome, the worst by far possible outcome would be Pat Noonan, U.S. national team manager. A, because I don't think he's a great fit. And B, it would rob us. It's the us. wrong profile. It's the yep. wrong profile. And it also causes him to not be our fucking manager. And we're back to yeah, square one suck. to hire a guy who probably shouldn't have that job. <laughs> We'd be we'd be back to uh, would we hire Greg Berhalter to replace him? I think so. Yes. Oh, geez. Think about that future. All right. I was going to do it for this segment. Uh, I believe we are losing Das Harks at this point. Chief, I don't know if we want to continue on anymore. I don't know Let's if go. we want to touch on FCC news for it. a couple minutes. All right. <laughs> Let's go. All right. We will bid adieu to Das Harks. Appreciate it, fellas. Have a good uh-huh. one. Thank you for letting us steal your family time. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad for it to be stolen temporarily. Oh, uh, and you get me and Chief in the last segment here. Part three. We heard... What? We've we got a couple of good topics here to talk about FC Cincinnati. Can I mean, this you is, believe it, Chief? No, it's um <laughs> this is a really dated reference, and I don't give a fuck. Um please. The uh <laughs> the old companion show to Saturday Night Live was a show called SCTV. It was on back in the 70s and oh, it was run yeah. out of Chicago. Some of the greatest comedians and hey, it's that guy people from the 80s were on there. Like Rick Moranis was on there, Eugene yep. Levy of uh Schitt's Creek fame was on there, yeah, Harold Ramis, Egon from the Ghostbusters on the oh, show, yeah. um, Catherine O'Hara, a bunch of people were on it. But they had a segment on the show called uh, Great White North that was uh with Rick Moranis <laughs> and Dave Thomas, not the Wendy's Dave Thomas, the other Dave Thomas playing Bob and Doug McKenzie, who were two Canadians. And the reason they had that was that uh, in order to be shown in Canada, your show had to have some Canadian actors or Canadian content on it. So that was their Canadian content to pass the the muster. So to me, I view this segment and why I said, let's keep going on this, is that we have to have some FC Cincinnati content to still call ourselves an FC Cincinnati podcast amid all the other nonsense we stuff in segment one and two. (laughs) <laughs> that's that is a great point i mean at a certain point we'd be coming for you know across the ponds uh you know throne or, or whatever it is right. now we're, we're an fc since we just we just don't have the listener base to justify being a general sports or general soccer podcast we've got to stay in our lane right here so let's do some fc cincinnati talk We've carved our niche audience, and honestly, it's a small enough audience that if you were to just, I don't know, tweet a suggestion for a segment, there's a good chance we'll just go ahead and do it, because right. it's better than anything we'll come up with. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you want this to be the uh, Japanese X League, is that what we learned today? Oh yeah. Uh, podcast of pro, choice. <laughs> pro football in America, pro foot, American football in Japan, but they're all owned by corporations. So there's like the IBM Big Blues 
And yes. I did a deep dive into this league. Like every team <laughs> has four Americans on it, but they're mostly like West Coasters and a lot of them appear to be of Japanese descent anyway. I was really okay. hoping when I looked at this, I'd just find like at least one college quarterback where I was just like, I all of your Maction guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like who is that? Like BJ Reynolds from USF where he was just electric running around. Like what happened to that dominated. guy? Dominated. Yeah. Like I would have, I would have loved to have found that that guy was in the X league or like if Jeff, See, like Jeff George, like a 55 year old yes. Jeff George was still throwing touchdown passes in the X league. That would have been the greatest thing ever. Oh, yeah. Michael Vick, you know, rehabbing his, uh, his <laughs> reputation over there would have been great. Um, no, this. So BJ Reynolds, very much a tangent. Uh, this is why I think college football should go fully professional. Again, this is something I am working on. But guys like BJ Reynolds aren't good enough for the NFL. Why should they stop after four years? Give them a seven year deal at USF. Who cares? Let him go. Like, <laughs> I want more of that. Tim Tebow for a decade dominating college football. Come on. Who doesn't want it? I don't think his name um, is really BJ Reynolds. I just looked it up and I can't find him online. BJ. No, it's not. It's what was uh, BJ. It was BJ something, wasn't it? It sure was. This is oh electric content right here. He was it was a thorn in UC's side, let me tell you. He uh they knocked off Florida State when they were like BJ Daniels. What? BJ Daniels. BJ we were close. Daniels. We were close. That was it. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh my god, this guy was electric. Like you could they couldn't tackle the guy. Like he was like Michael he was like the, the big east Michael Vick. He was unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> uh Tom Savage at Rutgers at that same time. Oh, he dominate the X League. Come on. Right. Like Although I was just I was get a I was just hoping one of I would see one of those names over there. Be like, hell yeah, go get your bag, son. It's like every time the the CFL does their playoffs, and I'm reminded that Zach Caleros is like yes. one of the greatest quarterbacks in CFL history. Like I was watching the telecast, I mean, they're talking about him as a first ballot CFL Hall of Famer. He was going for his third straight Grey Cup this year. How has he not had his number retired at UC? He is arguably the greatest professional uh, NFL player that use the greatest professional. Football player. Football player, that, yes. That UC has produced. Okay. I don't know if the Pro Football Hall of Fame has a stipulation that you had to play pro in the United States. But if he does go on to surpass Warren Moon's achievements in the CFL, does he have a Pro Football Hall of Fame shot? I mean, I he is arguably already the best quarterback in Canadian football history. Yeah. Like, He's the, he the, can keep going for a few right. more years. Tom, he's done this on multiple teams. Yeah, the Tom Brady of the CFL. Like he's done it for Toronto. I think he did it for Winnipeg one year too. The guy's just a, yep. he is yep. just a, C, a Canadian winner. He is a and because of the exchange rate, every title there is worth like one point two titles in America. So, oh wait, that no, it's, it's the other way around. Every title is only worth point eight in America. Fuck. That's fine. Hey, if it just takes four Grey Cups to equal two Super Bowls, that's that's a foolproof ticket right. into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's one I more. Mean, if we're going to put Eli Manning in, come right. on. That would be one more Super Bowl <laughs> than both Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. What I, that's what I'm trying to say. Right. All right. Uh, this is a great start to our FCC, FCC. segment. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about like compliance content and we're still not talking FC Cincinnati. What, what, what do we got? What do we got for FC Cincinnati? Do we, I, I was trying to think of more big East quarterbacks, Geno Smith. Hey, I'm sorry. He turned it around for that quarterback class. Gino, anyway, Dan Orlovsky, <laughs> university of Connecticut. Uh, well, 
Yeah. <laughs> that was it was no. a good try. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> All right, FC Cincinnati news. I thought this was interesting. I'm reading a lot of these articles of uh, projecting the next the 2026 U.S. Men's National Team roster. I'm reading on MLS on Sports Illustrated, ESPN. I thought this was interesting. A couple of FCC names have come up, and yes. Brandon Vasquez, I think, is is the super obvious one. But two other names have come up in other articles in different places. One, and I was accused of being crazy and a homer for mentioning this until I saw another sports writer. No, another. I saw an actual sports writer actually write this. Uh, Roman Celentano as one to keep an eye on from Matt Doyle for, uh, for goalkeeper. And uh, I think it was ESPN throughout their... Matt Miazga, potentially a uh, a U.S. men's national teamer in 2026. Chief, do you want Matt Miazga on the U.S. men's national team roster in 2026? <laughs> I mean, the last segment we talked about it, and I, I stand by my yeah. take in the last segment, and I think that the 2026 <laughs> U.S. men's national team roster, ideally, you don't want anyone that's an FC Cincinnati player. You don't want anyone that's an MLS player. <laughs> Right. Like you're talking about guys who, <laughs> if they are on the roster, should only be at the back and not see playing time. Now, Roman Celentano is an interesting one because um, I think if Roman can improve his distribution, because yes. the one thing that we, we learned from Matt Turner was that having elite level distribution isn't just a nice thing. It's an absolute must. If you are yes. not going to be more talented than your opposition, you can't give the ball away cheaply. You can't put your defense in bad positions with poor distribution. You you got to be letter perfect when it comes to moving the ball around when you have possession. Yep. So, and that was clearly what Celentano's weakness was this year. He was a great shot stopper. He seemed to organize the back line real well, but his distribution was, I would say, if I was being kind, it was below average to it sometimes poor. It was to sometimes <laughs> to poor. I would say poor quality yeah. distribution. So, if he can improve that then there's no reason why yeah. he's going to be in FC Cincinnati much longer. He's going to be a candidate that they're going to sell on and go play over in Europe. And then at that point, yeah, I do think that you start to consider him as a men's national team prospect. But, you know, to me, I, the, if FC Cincinnati has people that are national team products going forward, potentially, it, it's it should be because they have gone through the FC Cincinnati system, played here in Cincinnati, and been sold on someplace else where their national profile can be raised. Am I, am I wrong on that? I don't think so. I I do think if Matt Miazga were to make this Usman's national team roster in 2026, something weird had to have happened. A number of uh, you know injuries at the last second, or maybe Miazga gets off to such a hot start next year that he does find his way back in Europe. Just people gotta have him. I just worry that at his age, I don't think anybody is you know chomping at the bit to get him back there. I do. I, I agree with you. I see a path forward for Celentano to do well next year, improve on some of his his rough patches. I haven't seen much from him on social media and whatnot. I'm not really looking for it, but I'd be surprised if he wasn't in Europe somewhere getting you know specialized training at Hoffenheim or or any number of our partners that could give him some some quality goal, goalkeeping coaching uh, overseas. I know Beckham Sunderland did that a number of times. Hopefully, they can work those same connects. Um, 
Vasquez is an interesting one. Uh, I could see him moving to Europe, but it would not be to a very high level. But if he does move to like the Netherlands and scores 30 goals in a season, I mean, it'd be pretty hard to leave him off that roster. Right. Well, here's a question. Although do you, we where just do did you, that to Pepe. Where, yeah. where do you view if he were to have another season like this year? I think we yeah. both are in agreement that he's going to be sold if he has another season like this. Yeah. I don't see him. The value on selling is just too high to not yeah. sell. If he goes and has years like this in in Liga MX, yeah. To to me, even though that's not Europe based, you're still succeeding at a level a league that's I would say is significantly better than MLS. And then at that point, you you have to consider it. Um, but I mean, yeah. I, I just I don't think I think the point still remains that, you know, if a player is playing for FC Cincinnati, given the player pool that we need to be successful at the next level in the World Cup, I just think yeah. it's a disqualifier to be in the MLS going forward. If you're someone that you, you want to see significant minutes with the national team, I think we needed absent a sea change in the quality of play and the spend for players at MLS. It just right. it doesn't seem prudent to me to be targeting anyone that's playing in MLS for any reason. You know, that is an interesting point, though, with the infusion of Apple cash, uh, as we'll call it. And maybe literally in some cases, maybe these teams are are Apple paying each other for transfers. Um there maybe is an argument that in three years from now, even four years from now, that last year, the last half season leading up to the World Cup, that MLS isn't immediately perceived as an obvious sixth or seventh best league in the world. And, you know, the top striker or the top defender from the seventh best league in the world doesn't deserve a roster spot outside of the top five leagues in Europe. MLS sent the most non-domestic players to the world cup. There is something to be said for MLS becoming more and more a league of choice, but it is going to require some rule changes in more cash so that you can see in, you know, confidently argue that Vasquez is scoring these goals against really good defenders. Right. Because right now, MLS is too top-heavy spending-wise on the attack. Right. So. And, I mean, that's like the – the we didn't talk about it earlier on in the show when we had Das Harks on. But, I mean, that's kind of the, the other thing that's sort of unsaid about why – what's holding America back. It's that our, our domestic league is – it's growing – and it's getting better. It's un MLS right now is unquestionably at a higher level of play and a better level of competition than it was in the last World Cup cycle. We made the World Cup. There's more teams. Yeah. The players are better. But I mean, what really needs to happen for this you know, country to take the next level with soccer is that just MLS needs to get better in a hurry. It needs to become a better league. Yeah. It needs to have better players. The players need to earn more money. The teams need to spend more money. And there, there just needs to be a better crucible to refine U.S.-based talent and U.S. players in to hopefully provide them with more opportunities to move on. Or someday, maybe that, like, you don't need to do that, that you can stay and have a career here in the United States and still be a face the level of competition that is necessary to develop your skills. Yeah. I mean, even Argentina is calling up MLSers to their national team. Brazil's always had a domestic contingent uh, in their squad. I mean, they brought him in for a vibes guy, but Danny Alves is a Liga MXer who <laughs> signed kind of as a joke, uh, but he, he managed to get subbed into the game. So um, 
yeah, I, I do think that there, there maybe is a future where MLS looks better. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned it before. There are certainly more teams in MLS. And I mean, we're getting to be about that time. Oh, God. Does no. you, you ready for this? I no. mean, we, we don't it's, have Sacramento no. joining the league. We have St. Louis coming in next season. Nashville moves back to the east, so hopefully we get a home-and-home home with them. Are you ready to go through expansion drama again this year? I would be, <laughs> but only if it was a fair fight. Like, yeah. I like expansion in theory. What I don't like is we're all just playing games. Like, it's objectively have, have we gotten far enough away from the FC Cincinnati expansion where we can like go back and say what a crock of shit that entire process was like 100% like, like do you remember that like MLS had teams like drop off their proposal at the league headquarters and it was like almost this weird <laughs> non-televised fucked up reality show where yes. I think like the Tampa Bay Rowdies showed up with a, a book that was bound with AstroTurf and somebody else yes. bought like an ad in Times Square to advertise yes. their candidacy. <laughs> and we sent the mayor. That was also the Rowdies. It was also the, the Rowdies. Yeah, just, <laughs> like, what the fuck was that about? That like yeah, they, that had, was... they were sending people on tours <laughs> to see their stadiums. We had like a Don Garber event downtown flew, where sacramento flew 50 fans out to that yeah event. <laughs> we didn't fly shit i could have used the medallion miles for that this is nonsense <laughs> my fandom can be bought um no but that that last expansion process was awful and yes all, i say that because if they're gonna do expansion again i want to see that again like I want them to do that again. I want them to put I want them to put another set of cities through that. I want I yes. want five cities or six cities. I want them all competing. I want them doing ridiculous shit. Hey, Apple TV is looking for content. I want them to televise the pitch meetings. <laughs> I want them to televise what gets said in the, oh the smoke-filled room where it happens. I want to see the contingent from Las Vegas make their pitch and whatever they do that's weird. And I want to see them fly them out to Vegas. I want to see them do the pitch for the Las Vegas team, like at the pool at the Bellagio. I want that to yes. happen. Or like at Caesars Palace on the gambling floor. Like, I want to see, like, who gets sent from, you know, fucking uh, whatever, like Detroit. I want to see the new Detroit bid where it's like, hey, we still have Ford Field. It's still here. And I want to see I want to see counter protesters from Detroit City outside with their smoke and their skeleton gloves chanting no corporate soccer or whatever the fuck it is. Oh my God. Like, put that on TV this time. Then I'll be excited about expansion. I mean, you act like Detroit City's secret angel investor isn't already <laughs> trying to get them to MLS. <laughs> Speaking of Ford. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I was thinking about this, and this came up in the Pride Discord uh, earlier. I mean, let's be real. It would be a reality show, but it would be House Hunters because MLS will have already awarded it to <laughs> Vegas, but they need Louisville and San Diego and Sacramento and Indy and Detroit to make it interesting right and go through the whole thing right it's like <laughs> this is tom and his wife joy tom knits sweaters for underprivileged rodents joy <laughs> writes pamphlets on how to survive a nuclear holocaust their budget is 15 million dollars and they want to own an mls team <laughs> 
Oh, Sac- Sacramento. Uh, it's not. It's not close enough to the beach for me. Right. I'm, I'm leaning more towards San Diego. Oh, but honey, isn't Vegas just always a beach? Right. <laughs> I like that Vegas has this open floor plan. It's very flat. You can see everything that you need. I love the love the high ceilings oh. in here and oh, the granite at, countertops. Right. Look at that ceiling. It's popcorn. <laughs> That's going to have to come off. The only, thing I learned, not... the only thing I learned from watching House Hunters for years is that if your house didn't have an open floor plan, if it had popcorn ceiling or yes. if um, the backyard was too small, if it like sloped downward and there was no place for your dog oh, yeah. to run around, you were done. We're never going to buy that house. <laughs> what what I love is that, uh, yes, if people didn't know, it's all it's all staged. The, the folks have already bought the house before they go there. But if you're wondering how they find the other houses, a lot of times they are friends and family's houses. So you see them talking shit about their friends' houses, <laughs> which is so great. <laughs> the uh, My favorite one was there was a show on so my wife was addicted to a lot of this shit. It was like this weird time in like history of pop culture where uh, everyone watched House Hunters and all these shows before they realized you could just stalk houses on Zillow to see how yes. people live. Uh, there's a show called Love It or List It, where it was like this competition show where <laughs> where they looked at it combined the aspects of House Hunters with also the aspects of like the rehab shows. They rehab yes. their own houses. But what they didn't tell you is that the show was always shot in Canada. So all the houses were like around the Toronto area and all the couples yes. were like super Canadian. And once you realized it was in Canada, you couldn't not hear the Canadian accents with everyone they came in contact <laughs> with on the show. <laughs> and like the way they said the word house, it was like house. And it was just house. very, it got very funny. Like watching this show. <laughs> once you saw behind the curtain a little bit. <laughs> I loved that show because the uh, the the two like I guess co presenters were like weirdly aggressive to each other. It always felt like it went over a line. Right. Where, I don't it was, understand. Where it was also like, <laughs> I'm not sure if they're fucking or. <laughs> it, got yes. little, it got a little weird, right? Like. It was like, you know what it was? If you had told me they were a divorced couple that had like this production company that kept going, I'd totally believe it because that was the energy that they really had. Right. That they, they pitched the show, <laughs> then got divorced, but the contract got signed. So they had to keep working together. Like that kind of backstory is what like I need that fake backstory. It was like um, did, <laughs> this is all off the rails. Did you watch the show? Did you watch the show Iron Chef back in the day? Oh, yeah. The, the, the classic Japanese the, one. The Japanese yes. one. Yeah. But like the show was bananas. And I can't recommend yes. it enough. If you're not if you're not old enough to remember the original Iron Chef, please do seek it out. I can't believe yes. this. This was an American <laughs> phenomenon. This show that was just being dubbed into English. But if you they never really they just dubbed the show and showed like them cooking with like weird shit. And like there was an episode where the theme ingredient was octopus, but it was live yes. octopus. So they showed a guy who was beating an octopus to death with like a, 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 re- a vegetable, like a radish or something like that. So you watch a man murder an octopus live on television by beating it with another ingredient. Like the show was phenomenal. <laughs> but on the Japanese show, the, the intro gave you this backstory that was completely absent from the American show. That was like this fictitious story about the guy at the start yes. who bites into the raw bell pepper for no reason, that he is like the head of this medieval cooking academy. And he has inherited this castle from his ancestors. And his goal yes. is to pit two chefs in combat to the death to determine who is <laughs> the best chef and the best uh, 
and he has his iron chefs or his gladiators that yes. he puts up against these people. And if the iron chef defeats the other chef, he'll be executed or some shit like this. They have yes. this bananas backstory to this reality show about two people cooking. If cooking. I remember correctly, if you beat the iron chef, you joined the iron chefs, and you were later like the test that other contestants had to compete well, against. They, they, you joined so you joined his gourmet academy, and like you were part That's of like the was, minion yes. of chefs that appeared in the beginning, like where he would bite the bell pepper, and then all of a sudden, like this <laughs> army of chefs would appear out of nowhere. If you haven't so watched good. Iron Chef, none of this makes this this all sounds incredibly <laughs> off the wall. <laughs> But like if they had that fictitious backstory for Love It or List It, it would have been such a better show. It really would. Now I'm imagining like a Netflix original where it's like a behind the scenes of one of these shows. Where yes, <laughs> it is all of these stories and narratives. They're like trying to keep it together while showing them like right. The same there's a continuity Bible. There's a time. continuity yes. Bible of like how things are going. And <laughs> it's so good. They should just bring back Iron Chef, but like I don't want an American version. I want another dubbed Japanese version. It was so much better when like it was very foreign. It was phenomenal. Yes, and it was, yeah, and it wasn't not chefs that you'd ever seen before. No, but you know what? Like it was weird. Dead. I have never been more like nakedly not xenophobic, but patriotic. Then there were like three or four. <laughs> there were three or four episodes where like an American showed up on Iron Chef out of nowhere. Yes. And I have yes. never rooted harder for the contestant in my life. I was like, no, you don't understand. The honor of America is on the line. We <laughs> must defeat the Iron Chef. I don't care what the situation was it, is. Wasn't Bobby Flay like the first American to win Iron Chef? Something like no, that. No, it was it something was, weird like that. No, there was a dude. I remember that. I remember this when I was a kid. There was a dude okay, who was like a I don't remember what his name was, but he was a chef at a five-star restaurant in San Francisco. And he okay. went over and he challenged one of the Iron Chefs on like the dubbed version of the show where it was just for Japanese nice. audiences only. And he beat an Iron Chef. And like they made a big point over the fact that like he couldn't communicate with all the sous chefs they provide because none of them spoke <laughs> English. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but I was, I was sitting on my couch. I was rooting for the American on this episode that had been taped like years ago. I was enthralled. I was like, no, fuck you. Like the American has to win this. I had to think about what we were originally talking about. And yes, MLS expansion oh should become like Iron Chef. <laughs> yes, it needs to be all in Japanese. To, I was about to say, and that's why I'm rooting for Matt Miazga, and forgot that we had moved on to a different topic. <laughs> all right, so to, to spin it right back around, who, other than like, let's put Las Vegas aside, because I know they want to make okay. Las Vegas a thing. They do. Where would you put an MLS expansion franchise of the cities that are plausibly able to do so? Because I have a, I have a hot take on this. So if I were MLS and I had an investor come to me and say, Hey, I've got the money to do an MLS team, point me in the right direction. I would go Louisville. And I know that's not the sexy choice. Um, but MLS teams in mid-sized markets do so, so, so much better than MLS teams in large markets or MLS teams in crowded markets. And I think a Louisville team could be insanely valuable, profitable, uh, try to capture all of the Kentucky market. I think you could do a lot worse than just trying to replicate FCC in Louisville. You have a built-in rivalry. That's the direction I'd point them. I what would you do? For a lot of the same reasons, my answer is Albuquerque. 
because Ooh, yep, 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 yep. they um, I don't know. It's like one of those things where like we're all familiar if you're an FC Cincinnati fan with what Louisville has done. But if you haven't looked it up, like look at what Albuquerque does for yes. for USL matches, like watch one at some point or go back and just watch some video footage. Their fan base is awesome. And it's yeah. the same sort of situation. There are no pro teams in the entire state of New Mexico. Um, if you've ever been out that way, I've, I've been out to Albuquerque and Santa Fe before. It's a cool area of the country, but yeah. it's it, it's an area of the country where an MLS team could absolutely own the city, the region, everything about it. It's big, uh, big uh, defense contractors. There's a lot of money, sneaky, yeah. a lot of money in, in Albuquerque that would get behind something like that. I think that putting a footprint down outside of the East Coast, outside of the Midwest and putting something out West out there where they can just own a region. I think that would be really yeah. cool. And I, I think it would sort of MLS's plan. They expand to Austin and it's a counterculture move a little bit like there's no other pro sports teams in Austin. Yeah. I like the idea of and Louisville works for the same reason, but I like the idea of, of zigging. They've got enough big market teams in MLS and. You know, you don't need another team in L.A. You don't need another team in New York. You know, you've got Miami, Houston, all the Chicago, all these big cities locked down. Go places where you can dominate. You can dominate the conversation with your fan base. Yeah. New Mexico is great, too, because you kind of counterbalance the obvious Phoenix choice where it's like, Yes, I think it's like a 10 hour drive or something, but like mentally, I feel like, oh, yeah, they'll naturally be fans of the New Mexico team, too. But if you ever um, want to go, also, if you ever want to go to Phoenix, you're yeah. already building out a little bit of a footprint out there in the Southwest, which I think would be a really cool thing. And and I think that's key if they want to continue to connect Liga MX and MLS. I do think you need more teams in the area. And honestly, like if the plan is like 34 teams, Phoenix Albuquerque and Vegas help bridge that gap really well and help build out that Southwest footprint. I, yeah, I, th I think that would be a great choice. Um, yeah, I just part of me. I mean, it's similar in the same vein, but I just I think the ship has sailed. I do feel for Sacramento. Yep. And if if that entire fan base became pro rel truthers, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't fight them for a second. Man, that was yeah. Like when we oh. when we when we joined USL, like the goal was we want to be Sacramento. And I'm still to this day, yeah. I am I'm bummed that they never found a way to make a regular season. Like that's one of those things where you should have just yeah. broken the scheduling algorithm and just said, okay, for whatever reason, you were going to do a home and away series, Sacramento and FC Cincinnati. And then I would have gone yeah. to ESPN and been like, Hey, we got two big matches for you. Cause they were, that was right in the era where ESPN was yep. starting to think about televising USL matches. Yep. I, I think a home and away with Sacramento that that should have happened at some point with USL, especially as they were trying to grow their product and advertise their product. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. They actually did eventually just kind of do that. Like Phoenix and Tampa Bay play every year for no goddamn reason. Oh, it's a like, great goddamn reason. It's a great TV. Markets. It's a great TV yeah. product. Like the NFL figured right. this out. Like, fuck it. Like it's all rigged. Nobody cares. <laughs> NFC East. How about every major market we have? <laughs> right. Although it took me an uncomfortably long amount of time to realize that. So they kept the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East because uh, Jerry Jones wanted to continue playing all these East Coast teams. Yeah. Um, it took me a really long time to realize that the big rivalry was Cowboys and Indians. 
Yes. It's like I was embarrassed by how old I was before I realized, oh, that's problematic, but also makes a lot of sense. That's what I mean. That's that is exactly it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I believe the Cowboys started their existence as the Chiefs. I could be wrong about that. I think they were the Dallas Chiefs for a hot second before becoming the Cowboys. So even at that angle, all sorts of fun things. Um, So yeah, MLS expansion. I televise it. I honestly, I need uh, yes, televise it. I don't see any reason to stop. I would not mind a 40 league team. As long as your rules adapt to the change, I would slowly whittle down the number of domestic players required. I'd even go as far as to say you need, you know, two Americans in your game day roster and call it that. Like you can you can come up with some funky rules that way. But I think uh, the the player pool in the world is too large and MLS has too much money to not field that many teams. And I would just start eating Liga MX's lunch. That's that'd be my target. I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, final topic here for FCC that has <laughs> escaped my mind. Do you remember? We had three and I've oh, only remembered I remember. Two. How can you remember this? The ratings post for the World Cup oh, and yes. for... The ultimate uh, USA-Netherlands match. Was it USA-Netherlands or USA-England? I forget which one it was. It was USA-Netherlands. USA-Netherlands. Cincinnati, numero uno. Numero uno, the highest uh, market for ratings for the U.S. men's national team in their knockout stage match versus the Netherlands. Yes. Now, should be pointed out, because this can be a little confusing when you talk ratings, uh, we are number one, at least in terms of like market share. Share, So more percentage of TVs in the Cincinnati market were tuned to that game than other markets. Like, I'll just go ahead and say, like, Chicago had more eyeballs on the game than us or New York. That is a fact. But a greater percentage percentage, of Cincinnatians that were watching TV were watching the MLS, the, uh, the national team play in the World Cup. Versus the percentage of people in Chicago that were watching it. And I, this is all just more proof, more proof that they fucked up not awarding us a World Cup match. And if you need any more proof, (laughs) this is, this is where it is right here. And it's, it's funny too, how the, the, the guy that's the, the writer for this, it's, it's Stephen Goff from the Washington Post, who always seems to post these numbers. And you can tell he's very annoyed with the number of Cincinnatians that like hop into his mention and say, see, they should have given us a World (laughs) Cup game to the point where he's like, TV ratings aren't the consideration when awarding World Cup matches. So what I, to which I say, not? they should be. They fucking should be. <laughs> I mean, what? You want to know how many hotel rooms we have? Whatever. We'll Airbnb the whole city. Don't worry about that right. part of it. I mean, well, we've got more people more interested in your product. We'll make a more interesting atmosphere. I mean, after watching some of these World Cup matches, I don't know how you don't consider in-stadium atmosphere on <laughs> some level. Well, some COVID-era football we're watching. Right. I, I guarantee we'll drink more. <laughs> In the first game, and they drank, they drank of these Qatari matches. <laughs> Budweiser, uh, we'll we'll salvage your sponsorship. Right. Send all here. the beer here. I love I love Bud Heavy. <laughs> um, but to, to that point, um, this is my question for you: watching these these Please. ratings numbers. Okay, so that's a huge number that F, that Cincinnati yeah. did for these games, and like this wasn't the only game where Cincinnati was was placing. I think that for the Opening round game versus Wales. I think we were top five as well. I don't know if we placed yeah. for the England game, but either way. Not th- England, but we did Wales and Iran. Yes. Okay. So it's a top market for the World Cup. Yet 
you follow the media in this town and locally there's just it's it may as well not exist and i understand that like okay as many people as were watching this there were probably 15 times as many people watching that chiefs bengals game and <laughs> i did i did look up these numbers in case you were wondering okay. so uh usa netherlands because i was curious about this i was like i wonder if chiefs bengals beats this which felt like it should but then how much damn near doubled it yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's um, I mean, the four o'clock game on CBS two playoff teams. I mean, it's kind of the perfect storm. And also double. Also, th Oof. also think about this. It doubled it with 60,000 people at the game. <laughs> That's at least, you know, two points right. off of the TV ratings in Cincinnati. <laughs> but I mean, you, 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 in fairness, you compare that to the number of people that were at bars watching this USA game. Right. I, right. I mean, it's not nearly the same, but I'm going to go ahead and nod a lot and say that that really matters. It doesn't. Molly uh, Malone's was crowded. Right. Yeah, I saw the, I saw footage from the pitch. It looked like it was well attended. Um, yeah. No, but it, even still, like there's been nothing. Like it, it's not it, it it's it's interesting to me that I wonder if and I mean our download numbers certainly don't prove it, but if there is right. an underserved market for more soccer content in the local media, in like there's yeah. been no like I don't think the Inquirer has anyone writing stories about the World Cup. If there are, I no. I didn't see them. Um, you know, it would have been a great deployment of resources to write something, I think. And like I listen to talk. I listen to a lot of talk radio this week just because I, like a lot of people, were curious what the fuck was taking UC so long to hire a guy who <laughs> was probably another year away from being fired at Louisville. Neat. Um, uh, I, I, on that note, too, um, the Al Golden thing freaked out so many people. I told about it after we recorded, like so many people Dude. were freaked out about that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm not as tapped into that world as AMFCC, but I heard he he lobbied hard and he made a good case. But anyway, like so, like I was listening to a long way yes. of saying I was listening to a lot of talk radio about you know, sports this week, yes. <laughs> and just nothing about soccer, nothing about the World Cup, nothing about the FCC offseason. And I just wonder. There's obviously people watching this, and I wonder right. if there's is there more of a market for this, or are we? Are we too deep into this not to see that the general public just doesn't give a fuck? It, it is interesting. And I wonder, I mean, I, I'm not privy to a lot of the demographic breakdowns, but I, I do wonder how much of it is like the Hispanic market, maybe. And then maybe they just don't think they can reach it with an English language uh, thing. Or is it just that like it's the youth listening or it's not the youth listening to sports radio. It is the youth watching soccer. And so we're just in the wrong medium. But I've always felt this way about all things media, which is like the media has this idea, like all forms of media, it's political journalism, uh, you know, any sort of like, I, I don't know, okay, magazine, gossip, rag, your, your financial times. There's this idea that folks in the media don't, con like they don't understand that they control the narratives and they don't understand that like if they've gone 10 years without doing any soccer content and can go, well, nobody ever asks me for soccer content. People don't talk to me about soccer content. It's like, bro. I bet they don't ask you about rugby content either. Like you just don't do it. So nobody looks 
to you for the content. It's like, give it a month, dedicate a 30 minute segment for a month to soccer, encourage people to call in or send in a voice memo or do a poll. And after a month of like hammering that home, you might actually craft a little soccer niche in the community that knows to listen at, you know, whatever it is, three thirties, uh, you know, every week on, uh, you know, throughout the week. Like if I listen on three 30, we, we get the hot take on, you know, FCC stuff. I mean, FCC, we, we haven't touched on it because the news has been very murky out of Ecuador, but like, imagine if the red signed a, a dude out of Ecuador and was involved in some of the, uh, the, the, the ridiculousness and the tragedy that we've heard out of Ecuador. Maybe wall-to-wall news right. on sports media, like insanity. It would be, if it so, was a Bengals yeah. player, it would be national news. It would be leading oh sports gosh. center if it was an NFL player. Um, just insane, yeah. Yeah, so I just, don't know. I, I don't know. I want to see them. I want to see them produce it first and then complain that nobody listened. I, I don't think you can not produce it and say nobody listens. I want someone to try, and I, I, I think to a large extent too. This kind of dovetails into a point that you made last week. Um, I, I would like to see the team try and push for more content for itself. And the way that the team pushes yeah. for more content is more availability, like yes. making, making players more available. Like, you know, I'm, I understand he's busy. Has Chris Albright done an interview, like a public facing interview with like Mo Egger or someone where like, you can listen to it, that you're not relying on a reporter to filter out what was said like that. I don't think so. That, that no. to me, that was what sucked about the night camp era was that it was just opaque. Like I, yeah. to me, if I was FC Cincinnati, I would want these guys. I would want Noonan. I'd want Albright out doing the media tour ahead of, or during the world cup. Like everyone's yeah. paying attention to soccer, by the way, here's our local guy. Tell us how the team's doing. Are you watching the world cup? What do you like about the world cup? There's so many, like this right. is a situation where people that don't usually cover soccer can ask you a few stupid fucking questions you might get a fun moment that goes viral, like where somebody asks you, do you think FC Cincinnati can ever win the World Cup? And right, then you have right. to explain to them that it's <laughs> you know, not the same fucking thing. But like, to a certain extent, I, I do think there's a lot more of a market for soccer content. And again, I, I, I wish that that market would start downloading this podcast. Um, or maybe it's, better, <laughs> maybe it's better that they don't. I don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that, the, that FC Cincinnati can help create that too. And that it's not just yeah. the radio hosts that just open the phone lines up. I think the team yes. can do a better job of making it hard to ignore soccer in this marketplace. I just don't think they do a good job of it. I don't know if they care. Right. They should, though. I mean, you look at attendance numbers between the Reds and FCC, and it's night and day as to at least where Cincinnati is headed in the short term in terms of the team it cares about. Um, I mean, it, it would be interesting. And yeah, you, you talk about like the World Cup angle. Ronald Matarita and Kendall Lawson played in this World Cup. FC Cincinnati players, former players at this point, Mata maybe we do claim until he signs for a new team. But like there's... FCC guys there. Lucho is literally there celebrating right. with the Argentinian national team. Tommy G is there. Right. And yes, I we, we talked about it last week. He did get to call into Mo Egger's show, I think, once. I don't know if that was a recurring bit. I don't listen that often because I don't really care about the Reds or the Bengals, honestly. But hey, that's neither here right. nor there. <laughs> well, but yeah. If any, oh. if, if anyone from FC Cincinnati's listen, our DMs are open. We'd be more than happy to have the GM or anyone else on to talk about the World Cup and soccer next week. Please, <laughs> somebody, anybody. Oh, it would be so much fun to get like Chris Albright's take on like what would it take to sign 
you know, this player. Not not like a Messi or whatever, but like, I don't know, the standout striker from Saudi Arabia. Like, why not? What right. would it take to sign him? Like, walk me through the process of what it would look like, hypothetically, if you had to buy him. Or you Do know you what? Maybe call his agent? Do you call his team? How does that work? Maybe yeah. you throw him on the air and maybe you get like a really great take about like him sticking up for Brandon Vasquez. And maybe you get some controversy where he says something like, yeah, it was a mistake not to take Brandon Vasquez. He sticks up for his guy. And all of a sudden you get a segment out of ESPN with Taylor Twelman about it, where like Chris Albright with the the take criticizing Greg Berhalter's player selection. I don't know. Do anything to get people talking about this sport and do anything oh. to get people talking about this team. Pat Noonan saying Haji Wright wouldn't start for us. Yeah. Oh my God. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm in for it. The hotter takes, the better. Right. Doesn't even need to make sense. No. Lobby for Matt Miazga to have made this team. Right. Come on. <laughs> what I'm saying is that we need the Don Cherry of American soccer. And we just need <laughs> minus the xenophobia and the racism. But we need the person who just yes. like the fiery hot take all the time. I need that in the local Cincinnati market about soccer. It would be lovely. And stop treating it like this weird thing nobody has ever heard of. Just because you're not an expert in it doesn't mean it's not a sport that doesn't exist in people's minds and have a pretty good understanding of. Uh, anyway, how's that for a postcast? <laughs> wow. Certainly covered, we did it. We covered a lot. <laughs> Sorry, Grayson, you missed out tonight. <laughs> man and we even we even put a soccer blog book cub in the uh in, in the hopper for next week yeah, so a, look forward to that you, you're if you were uh, if you're thinking our episodes are too long you can thank us for killing that segment and pushing it to next week because that one's a doozy <laughs> uh, we might read every single word of that one it's lovely <laughs> if you have movie review well, ideas send them our way if you're still listening i i don't think anyone still oh, is i mean if that person is still listening, I hope they suggest victory because I've never seen it. I've seen clips. I want an excuse to watch it. I'm in. Let's do it. Perfect. <laughs> and on that note. But until then. Buck Columbus. Buck Columbus.